Welcome to the Bible Bitches podcast, where we talk about biblical and religious topics from a feminist comedic perspective. And I'm here with the one Sarah Hoff, an awesome agnostic living in LA, California. False. I am an evangelical Baptist, and that is <laughs> oh, the perspective that I'm going to bring today. That would be a mid-season, like, like huge, like turnabout, wouldn't it? It would be. That would be quite the misdirect on my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, not just on the show, but like our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Like, I've actually been cultivating like, this, like, what, 10, 12 year long friendship? 13 year long friendship. You're like, psych. I've gained your trust. Now, let me tell you how Trump's a good idea. <laughs> and then oh and then when we do our show at wild goose you just like dunk me in the river and you're like you needed to be baptized but it it backfires on me because the river then just boils the water just boils <laughs> <laughs> but that's more on me than you. i set it on fire <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm obviously here with a uh, laura barclay She's a Baptist, a progressive Baptist, though. Let's... Holla! <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. Word to your mother. Word to your mother. I came. I came to drop word. <laughs> uh, Laura Barclay over here is going to drop it like it's hot, and also it's two thousand and four. Um, she is a minister in Louisville, Kentucky. Our geographical location is important because. It suggests our social context. Anyways, and pull out your wand, folks, because we're talking about witchcraft in the Bible. Um, dun, 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 dun. Is that a Harry Potter theme song? Is it? Yeah, that's the Harry Potter theme song. <laughs> I could tell. That's why it was my first guess. My excitement. Yeah, my excitement. <laughs> Um, and we want to give a big shout out to Scott Looney, not of Looney Tunes fame, but uh, Scott Looney is the one who suggested this, and we love you and your Star Wars themed podcast over at We Serve Droids. They do. They serve droids all day, every day. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking on Twitter, and he was suggesting the Witch of Endor, but I totally, because he's over at We Serve Droids, right, about Star, Star Wars. And so I totally envisioned the Ewok witch doctor from the Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah. Because uh, they're on the, what is it, the, the moon of Endor, one of the moons of Endor. So the witch of Endor in the Star Wars world is technically an Ewok. So I was like, is this what you mean, Scott? And then I realized, oh my God, I've gotten into a nerd convo on Twitter. And that's, if, if we're going to be super true, Sarah, that's where I feel the most safe. Yeah, I feel like you don't even need to like call that out. Just fucking own it, because let's be honest. I'm owning it. I'm owning yeah. it. I love Ewoks. Come at me. Yeah. Bro. I don't uh, think. I literally don't think. I don't think anyone in our like who's listening right now is going to come at you for that because they're all like, I get it. I get it. There are angry teddy bears that want to fight you, and I like that about them. Yeah, they'll probably yeah. like though, but like. Loki, you just give them a hug and then you cuddle them. We're all good. You give them a snack like Princess Leia and they're all good. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. But if you don't, they will spear you. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your listening taste, uh, the witch of Endor we're talking about today is in the Old Testament book of First Samuel. Yeah, and uh, you know, sometimes like Laura and I come to fisticuffs on things. It's much, it's it's super fun when we do. But on this one, it's kind of like there's not much to disagree on. There is a lot of meat there that's really fun, but on this one, we kind of high five a lot. If I get super drunk, though, I'm going to be like, uh, my argument that I'm going to make is the Witch of Endor is really Hermione from Harry Potter. <laughs> you know what? I'll agree with that because it's not like the sexist interpretation of, of the Witch of Endor that has so long been in play. Yes. Agreed. Done. Agreed. So let's get into the backstory, folks. Uh, scholars believe the book of First Samuel was composed in the period of uh, 630 to 540 uh, BCE, which is when other books in the Old Testament uh, that were considered Deuteronomistic were written. Um, okay, so when I say that word, um, I mean books in the Old Testament that would have conformed to the belief that there is a covenant between the Israelites and God. And the Israelites are God's chosen people elected to live apart from other people with a specific code, right? A specific code that they have to follow of behaviors. And that code contains specific ways of living, which are outlined in chapters 12 through 26 of the book of Deuteronomy. Right. And so this is kind of like where you get a lot of those, a lot, like a, there are a lot of rules, like this specific code, right? Um, the term Deuteronomistic or Deuteronomistic, there's a, there's like a small drop there. Anyways, yeah, um, it can be traced back to the German biblical scholar, Martin Noth, who used the, this word in reference to the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. So like, what six books joshua judges first and second samuel first and second kings in the mm -hmm. 1940s he, he believed they were all written in the sixth century bce by a single author or compiler because at that time the israelites were coping with the fall of jerusalem and the babylonian exile and in so doing Noth believed they leaned heavily on the language of deuteronomy Right. And part of this today is interpreted as keeping kosher, right? Not eating shellfish or, or pork is something that you might have heard overwhelmingly is something that, you know, would be part of that behavior of keeping kosher. But the Deuteronomistic code is much more strict than just keeping kosher. For example, in the era it was written, there was a specific prohibition against false prophets in Deuteronomy 13. And in Deuteronomy 17, 2, so chapter 17, verses 2 through 7, idolaters were commanded to be stoned to death. So anybody that didn't worship God, they worshiped either a stone idol or somebody other than, than the monotheistic God, Yahweh. Um, this meant that any other kind of godhood outside of a monotheistic worship of Yahweh, the, Israeli, the Israelite God, was prohibited. And throughout the book of Judges, there are repeated descriptions of something called Asherah poles being torn down, which indicates that there was a minority belief that a female goddess was also being worshipped in addition to Yahweh called Asherah, who would have been maybe like um, married to Yahweh. So the female side of Yahweh, right? So there were these two gods side by side. Um, think Zeus and Hera, right? Like there's, there's, a, there's a male and a female counterpart. 
and and then the female counterpart just gets dropped. Always shat on, put to the wayside. Oh, you know what? We're actually gonna get into because that's that's kind of like our thorn in the side to use yeah. biblical imagery. There you go. You get into her, Sarah. You get you get real good into her. Anyhow, let's get <laughs> into the story itself. So the Wish of Endor story sort of begins later in Saul's career. So the main people in the story are Saul, who is currently king, Samuel, who is now deceased, and the Witch of Endor, who is a a witch who like I don't know brings Samuel forth, right? So mm-hmm. Saul- and witches when witches were not okay according to the Deuteronomistic code, right? They were not serving Yahweh, so they're to the side, right? Right, yeah, and so we get into this, I mean, like, that's an important element to the whole story, right, is that Samuel before him and Saul still now have cast out all sort of, like, other other non-Yahweh-centric, mono, any kind of other godhood other than Yahweh, right? Right, Samuel being this, like, very, like, following the, he's the prophet of God, right? He's very... He's, he's following Yahweh, he's leading others in this religion that's super monotheistic and only eyes only on Yahweh. Right, and that at the time was super radical because most, um, most I don't know, populations, I guess, mm-hmm. had, had like a polytheistic society. Mm-hmm. And so to bring it down to a monotheistic society was pretty fucking radical. Mm-hmm. And um, blah, 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 blah. Samuel's dead. Saul is now like kind of towards the end of his reign. He has sons and he is on the cusp of going to war with the Philistines who are like a neighboring population. And they are well known, not the Genesis Philistines, BT dubs, but um, like a different Philistine population that is popular in like the second half of the old testament for being constantly at war with israel so he becomes saul is king he is david is rising in power and he sees david rising in power um, and is growing jealous and concerned um, because he's worried that david is going to usurp him um and it also like you know first samuel is weird um because it's focused only on mostly on Saul and it's sort of telling the story of him becoming more sort of like erratic and paranoid and it suggests kind of like that he has like a mental disability right or like a mental illness like something's going on right and again this story takes place on the night before he's going to war with this neighboring population and it all starts in first Samuel 28 5. Right. And I think adding to this is that Saul is actually the first king of Israel. So he's kind of setting the tone. And that's got to be hard. I I know that um, further back, uh, God warns the people because they've previously been ruled by a series of judges who adjudicated cases, but they also sort of ruled and were militaristic leaders. Um, But God was like, hey, you're not going to like kings. Kings are you're not going to like them. And the people were like, we want a king. And then they got Saul and David. And there's just a lot of problems. Um, so Saul maybe is 
buckling under the weight of the pressure of, of being king. So he goes to his servants on the night before this battle and says in chapter 28, verse 7, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servants say to him, There is a medium at Endor. Now, as we said, this is a huge no-no. He's supposed to be only worshiping Yahweh. Um, he's dispatched all the, the people who don't do that from the land. They're going to be punished. But now he's asking for one, right? He's like, give me a witch. I need a witch. Um, and so the, the Deuteronomists, um, the, the people who are following the strict code for Yahweh, would label this person a false prophet. So he has to disguise himself to visit this witch of Endor and says in verse 8, Consult a spirit for me and bring up for me the one whom I name to you. And the woman or witch says, surely you know what Saul has done, not knowing this is Saul. Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the wizards from the land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? So she's worried that she's going to get caught. And knowing that King Saul is such a zealot that she's going to be put to death. So I don't want to get too far ahead but the article that i ref that we reference later um and like yeah like on the surface this is the story right this is the traditional interpretation where she's pretty naive in this story um at this point um but we get into it later about this conversation and the nuances of it and it's pretty great um noise <laughs> in so in verse 10, Saul swears to her in the name of the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman says, whom shall I bring up for you? And he answers, bring up Samuel for me. Samuel had previously enforced the no false prophet or idol rule. So the witch is like pretty suspicious of Saul who wants to use her to call up this ghost, right? Mm-hmm. And when the witch sees Samuel, she cries out with a loud voice. And the woman says to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. She's immediately afraid that this is totally a trap. As Samuel, when he was alive, and King Saul is so anti-witch. But Saul says to her, have no fear. Just tell me what you see, right? What do you see? The woman says to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the ground. So he says to her, what is his appearance? And the witch says, an old man is coming up. He is wrapped in a robe. So Saul knew that it was Samuel. And so he bows down to Samuel. Yeah. And so Samuel's ghost says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answers, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel answers him, why then do you, do you ask for me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you just as he spoke by me for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out the fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistine, into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord shall give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And immediately Saul has a panic attack, falling on the ground, filled with fear. Because he knows he's about to die, right? 
the woman came to Saul, the witch, and she sees that he's terrified and says to him, your servant has listened to you. I've taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also listen to your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you. Eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. So after initially refusing, he and his servants eat with her before leaving. And he does, you know, he does die in the battle. David becomes king. So the ghosts of Samuel and by extension, the witch of Endor were correct. And centuries later, King James, son of Mary, Queen of Scots, who becomes king of a united Scotland and England, orders a new translation of the Bible, the King James Version. And again, and then like he himself in, in 1597, um, writes his own book called The Demonologies, which I now like 100% want to read. That and the Malleus Maleficarum. That comes up a lot in the podcast Tannis. Yeah. I really want to read it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, huh? They're so spooky, right? They're all about like demons and like. And like. Shit. Yeah. It just sounds like, it just sounds like, it just sounds like good fun, honestly. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So King James argues that Samuel's ghost is really the devil who occasionally transforms into the appearance of saints. Yeah. Shout out to my girl, Mary Queen of Scots. Um, (laughs) Seriously. I like. What? Yes. Mary Queen of Scots. Right. I love her. I got, I like saw her whenever I went to, um, I didn't see her physically. Um, but I got to see her grave whenever, cause she's buried in Westminster Abbey and her King fun fact, King James made her grave, like her sort of mausoleum part, um, bigger and more elaborate than, um, Elizabeth's. How come? Well, because he's Mary's son. And Mary was uh, executed by Elizabeth. And that was like a whole condition of, I'm going to kill your mom and then you get to be my heir. Yeah. And so like once all that was done and she died, then he was like, your grave's not going to be as cool. (laughs) It was kind of this awesome sort of passive aggressive way of being like, my mom Fuck was you. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, he was into some like really weird shit like demonology and like, yeah, like what? So it's, it's interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but in that book, Demonology, King James states, other medieval glosses to the Bible also suggest um, that what the witch summoned was not the ghost of Samuel, but a demon taking his shape or an illusion crafted by the witch. Martin Luther, who believed that the dead were unconscious, read that it was the devil's ghost, whereas John Calvin read that it was not the real Samuel, but a specter. So there's a lot of, um, by these sort of medieval theologians, a lot of disagreement as to what it was that Saul actually saw. Was it the devil? Was it a, a ghost? Uh, was it a demon? What, what was it, right? Or was it at all an illusion? So that's, that's what... That's what the the mid- medieval dudes are saying. Yeah, the medieval dudes posit a lot of questions. They do. As, as I do now. Yes, Sarah. Posit your questions, girl. But, uh, but for this, 
I honestly didn't know a lot about the story. Like I knew the story, but I didn't know, I didn't really think about it before we started researching for this episode. And um, there's actually like a lot of interesting sort of like feminist meat here. All right pun um <laughs> yeah. uh, so so this story it sounds like traditionally has been interpreted to like reiterate or show the hospitality of women right mm-hmm. that you know she's in a position of fear and um and her strategy is to be as hospitable as possible and mm-hmm. so she offers all of these things she feeds the man and his and his whole host of people and you know she sort of comes off as very naive and um and she questions but she doesn't question to the extent that she refuses right mm-hmm. um but you know we were reading this article by Pamela Tamarca, Tamarican, I'm going to butcher her name, Pamela Tamarican Reyes, called Eating Blood, Saul and the Witch of Endor, where she posits like a much more interesting, in my opinion, interesting like feminist theological point of view. And so Laura and I are going to talk about that now and then we'll like get back to it. Um, But yeah. Yeah. So according to her in this story, the witch's life is obviously in great danger, right? She's the messenger to Saul, telling him his life, his reign, and his lineage are all dead. Shit. I mean, that's that's quite a thing to get drawn. No wonder he had a panic attack. <laughs> uh, but she manages to escape death and even broker a deal with Saul in a strange, subversive kind of way. Reyes uh, locates this subversive deal in the meal itself that she insists on him having, right? The act of preparing it, the language used around it, and the partaking of it itself. She really digs in and gets into all the deep symbolism of it, and we can't really get into all that today. So go find and read that article. Um, Sarah, you found it in your local library, right? In the online article collection? Yeah. Everybody, get like a library card. Do it. So the meal (laughs) itself and that hospitality was actually subversive. Yeah, well, I mean, like, interestingly, the whole interaction is really subversive, but it's all sort of leading up to the meal itself. Um, so a little backstory. You know, it's tricky because she finds so many, like, small language tells, I guess. You know how, like, in the, like, night. 19- 20th century and 21st century there's a big emphasis on uh the language itself and like digging into the etymology of language and so she does this with this story with the assumption that i think is a pretty correct assumption that the bible and the old testament particularly has been pared down to kind of like like each word is meaningful like it's all saying each word is a statement about the the subtext like the context mm-hmm. and so there's a lot there's a lot in the story that we can't get into right now but um so but like just to like point out that there are a lot of small things that point to the overall statement that she's trying to make which is that even from the beginning, she's trying to broker a deal. She's trying to create a covenant between her and Saul because she understands 
almost immediately the significance of his arrival into her situation, right? Mm-hmm. So back up, back up. Um, let's talk about Samuel and Saul. So Samuel appears to Saul and he's like, what can you, I just want to, why are you disturbing you? Like what's going on? And the first thing that Saul says to him is I am afraid for my life. Like, please help me. And then Samuel responds back many times over, like seven times over, like, uh, what's your relationship with God? What are you doing with God? God is saying this. What are you doing about this? Like God, God, God. And Saul isn't really having any of it. He's fully focused on his own self and like his own, his, like his own personhood. And so Samuel ends with being like, well, you're, you're going to die. Your lineage is going to die and your reign is done. Um, but by this time, Saul has already chosen to turn away from God. He's explicitly disobeyed a command from God by coming to the witch at all. And he's focused on himself rather than God throughout this story. Okay, so as you were talking, uh, <laughs> I had this like weird revelation just now. Um, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on a weird side uh side quest Uh, (laughs) i feel like samuel right now is um is billy butcherson from (laughs) hocus pocus (laughs) i never saw hocus pocus what i was homeschooled okay but you need to see it as oh my god you haven't seen it as an adult are you kidding me i'm the one charmer of a film oh my god okay we see three witches who get hung in salem come back and make everyone's life hell because a virgin lit the black candle on halloween night right there's a lot of jokes about the virgin dude and it's really funny um but bed midler raises up billy butcherson her ex-lover who uh like from the dead to like do her bidding and at some point he's like you bitch i don't want to do this anymore (laughs) marking maybe the first time anyone ever cussed in a disney film i don't know Uh, (laughs) but it was lovely and uh and so right now i'm feeling like saul is bet midler's character yeah and uh and samuel is willie butcherson who's like i just want to go back to sleep i'm super tired I'm dead. I just want to rest in my grave. Um, So that's the weird pop culture reference I'm, I'm choosing to make right now. (laughs) Like, I feel like he's just like massaging his forehead, just being like, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it at all. Like you don't. Like I can't do anything more for you. And so like, fine. You were just, you know what? You're done. Okay. You're done. You're going to die. You're You're going to die. Like you're going to die. Yeah. Um, Okay, so back to the story. So, right, thank you for thank you for letting me do that. No, it was great. It was perfect. Side quest. Okay, and I'm gonna make you watch Hocus Pocus the next time we hang out. Uh, I'll put it on my list. When you, you have to come out to LA. Uh huh. For sure. Can, and then we Deal. can watch for sure. We can watch it. Deal. Okay, so back to the story. Yeah. Um, so race doesn't begin with an assumption that the witch is naive, right? Or at least not as naive as she's letting on in the story. Um, she was 
the witch was obviously suspicious when Saul approached her because, you know, this behavior is illegal, right? She can't, she can't just go witching around. Um, and when he requested to see Samuel, the witch would have become doubly suspicious, all of which would have been confirmed when Samuel came up, right? The, this priest of, of God who is going to be like, no witches, please. Um, <laughs> direct quote. Not direct. Okay. No witches, please. No that's, witches, that's, please. Can that's that's the name like of this episode? Yeah. <laughs> the witch, witch of Endor. No witches, please. Um, <laughs> I like. I like how I get this vibe from certain characters in the Bible, and then I come up with a voice for them, and I don't know why that Samuel's voice is. <laughs> I actually like. I interpreted her as more of this like mid thirties, not like old, but like a mid thirties like. What's your deal? Like, what's your deal? Oh, yeah. No, that was Samuel's. That was for Samuel. Yeah. Samuel's oh, walking around being like, no witches, please. Yeah, that's 100% him. Yeah, right. Where she's just kind of like, what's up? What's up? Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like a club promoter? I don't know. I, what, whatever. She she's just handing out flyers. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, what's up? What's up? Coming to my cool-ass club. The witch indoor. <laughs> we got everything we got ewoks we got droids we got seances apparently we got seances we got chewbacca's (laughs) so um all right so so samuel comes up from the grave saying no witches please and it's here that the witch slash club promoter begins laying the groundwork for creating the covenant that ultimately saves her own life uh, when she first speaks of being pushed out of the land, she uses a specific verb that translates roughly as cut them off, meaning these people have been cut off from the land, which technically implies the death penalty and is often used when making a covenant. Right. So initially when these laws were enacted, they were pushed out of the land. So she's like, bitch, you did this. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck? She's got like the three snaps. She's like, it's like when the club promoter turns into the bouncer. Mm. <laughs> They're done. They're 100% done. Yeah. Um, Get out of here with your riff raff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because apparently I only know club promoters and bouncers from the 40s. <laughs> so this, this kind of language that she use, uses right here kind of sets the tone for the rest of her interaction with Saul. She essentially maneuvers strategically with him to make this covenant to save her own life. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ways that she does this during Samuel's appearance, but that, I mean, we could probably go on for entirely too long about the nuances of language and blah, 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 blah. Um, so let's talk about the meal itself. So afterwards, she offers to make Saul and his men a meal and she uses like interesting language because or like the storyteller I guess uses interesting language because when he when he or she talks about the way that she acts out making the meal Mm he he or she but most likely a he uses um covenantal language right so it is first the witch sacrifices a calf and she doesn't kill the calf. She doesn't slaughter the calf. She sacrifices the calf, which is only used um, 
except for like two times, which is arguably uh, sacramental. She, this is only used in terms of a ritual or in terms of a sacrament, right? Um, and then she serves unleavened bread, which again is a symbol of a sacrifice. It's a symbol of this covenant or like a religious kind of sacrifice. Like we now do, like that's a sacrament that we do now is we take the unleavened bread and the wine, right? And then, and, and in this way, she offers the food. Um, Rias, Reese, uh, says this verb of um, sacrificial, like the sacrificial verb, is uh, very loaded in that it denotes both the priestly approach to the altar and a sexual intercourse, which there are other verbs that are used in this context that suggest a kind of sexual element but never quite get there, right? Like it's always this kind of like tension between sacrifice, ritual, and erotic. So, so she, is she like, is she like, here's some food and let's, let's fuck? It's, well, it's, that's the question, right? Is that, yeah. is it that she, I mean, like what Reese or Reyes says, or what she like uh, sort of couches this in is that she's making a covenant. Like, even from the beginning, she's using language that's, that sort of lead towards an obvious covenant that saves her life, right? But are, you, are you, But are you thinking what I'm thinking, Sarah? I mean, ladies got to do what ladies got to do. A, ladies got to do what ladies got to do. But B, I feel like we're coming up with some new stuff for your Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to come to my altar? Uh, yeah. I mean, we can sacrifice some food and we can... I'll give, you, I'll give you some unleavened bread. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and wait, so what, what would the verb here be? Like, oh, like offering. We're like doing some offering here. Mm-hmm. And offer, offer you wink, some... Wink, wink. I feel like we should at some point have a couple of phrases that, are, <laughs> that, that our listeners vote on that go on your Tinder profile for like 24 hours. Okay. That's fine. That's good. That's yeah. good. Cause then we're, that means we can have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what the witch of indoor is basically doing is subtly to us, perhaps not so subtly at that time is trying to set a covenant to save her own life, which it ultimately does. This succeeds. She lives, but as we know, Saul does not. And I love how Reyes interprets this too. After the battle, Saul takes his own life. He's in complete despair over losing his kingdom and sons. Remember, he came to the witch of Endor and Samuel because he was afraid for his own life. And in the end, it's him who takes his own life. Reyes says, the horror that spurs his suicide goes beyond Samuel's prophecy and fulfills the measure for measure standard of judgment. It is as though God has said, you fear death. Now you will fear to live. You wanted to escape your fate. Now you will run towards it. Boom. I mean, that's pretty good though, right? So good. Yeah, like, I feel like that's such a meteor, like more interesting interpretation than just this, like Saul. I mean, like, yeah, Saul comes off as very like snivelly and like in this. He's, he's definitely Jerry from Rick and Morty in this situation. Okay. Haven't um, seen it. Uh, I think that you should. It's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, cool. definitely should. And then I want to have like a conversation about feminism in that because I feel like it is very feminist, but it isn't like on the surface feminist. Anyways. um, Let's make a deal. 
I will watch Rick and Morty and you will watch Hocus Pocus. 100%. Oh, 100. That's an easy deal to make. Do you Actually, know? how many seasons is Rick and Morty? <laughs> how much do I have to watch? Uh, it's just three seasons. They're like oh. 15, 20 minutes. They're like 20, wow. 25 minutes. Easy peasy. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Saul comes off as like this kind of sniveling, cowardly asshole in this, right? I kind of love this. Like, is this, is this, I don't know if this is bad for me, but like, I love that he has like ejected all these like women from the land and like all this bullshit. And then he's gone sniveling towards one and then he sees his own judgment. But remember, like, this is a very, like, very, very current interpretation. Like, for so long, this interpretation has focused the Witch of Endor, like, has focused on the Witch of Endor as this kind of naive woman who then um, is, like, fearful and then, like, kind of weirdly shifts into this hospitality mode. Um, And, in fact, Reyes actually has a really good end paragraph which i'm gonna read now because it's so good okay so she says her role had to be that of the caretaker of the caregiver the interpreter's image of a selfless and compassionate nurturer also fits an idealized standard of femininity even today the biblical author's depiction of the medium as a self-interested and resourceful is not a representation of woman that is readily embraced the witch is not seen as an android strategist, but as a generous, solicitous, and adorably illogical hostess. God's vehement condemnation of witchcraft are discounted, which I think is a really interesting point because we don't even get into that. Like, we haven't touched on that insofar as that, like, she's not punished in this story. So there is no repercussions for, um, I mean, like, for Saul, sure, but there are no, like, repercussions for the medium itself so she's doing something that's illegal that's against god's will but she is not punished for it anyways um yeah so god's vehement condemnation of witchcrafts is discounted the human drive for self-preservation is depreciated and the witch of endor basks in approval continuing to entrance exigence down the centuries. So, like, I think it's fascinating that she's discounted on so many levels that, like, and everybody basically is discounted here, right? Like, I don't know why people are so excited about trying to make this something that makes Saul or, like, just the human dudes in this sound better, because really, this makes God sound worse, um, because God doesn't punish the perpetrator of evil um it makes her sound worse because she comes off as like naive and like she said illogical because it is illogical to um i don't know i don't know but doesn't god i mean god kind of lets saul die here well god lets saul die sure so god fulfills the fate that god tells saul he's gonna do but god has also commanded that all occult or witchcraft needs to be dealt with harshly and she gets no punishment and like all things being equal she should have had punishment brought against her right well i'm i'm team witch of endor like i'm 100 100 percent. yes but i'm just saying like for sure for sure i get you yeah um 
and and like uh and like and she's portrayed as like Rhea says like uh illogical because it is like 100% illogical for her to go from like being skeptical to fearing for a life to being like this hospitable hostess in the course of what like a half a day at the most like probably pretty savvy i mean i think i think she's pretty right i i totally buy reyes's like interpretation like i think i think it's i think it actually makes the most sense 100 Um, yeah yeah for sure like in the end there she's talking about traditional interpretations yeah yeah yeah. like opposing i am like on board with reyes like 100 percent. like i think she i think it makes the most sense like she's it's like the witch of indoors like reading the room and being like yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna bring this guy up, and this motherfucker's gonna get his judgment. But like, maybe I'm gonna offer him a meal. Like, I know that according to his beliefs, this covenantal meal like is gonna kind of keep me safe. And like, yeah, like it, like it sounds like she brings up this evidence of his disobedience. That's his portent of doom, right? But it also shows that while she goes from being terrified. She's also, she also goes to being terrified and trapped. She's also like savvy and real smart about reading the room and what she needs to do next. And Saul comes out with like this total ass by having expelled all of her peers, but then relying on her services and ultimately getting his own judgment through her. The people that he has oppressed, like those people come back and judge him, which is, which is, I would argue ends up being the trajectory of the old testament right because it ends up being the oppressed voices in the end like towards the end of the old testament that say like hey listen like the oppressed people are the ones that need to be lifted up so i i would argue that the witch of endor really here is the voice of god he's such a badass hero right lover i know and like i love I love like these more modern interpretations of her because the older ones are so stale and boring and I'm so excited about these new ones. And yeah, like, thank you guys so much for listening. And we also both agree that she's Hermione from Harry Potter. She's definitely Hermione from (laughs) Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's just subtly like bossing dudes around and I like it. Right. Right. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Yes, and do us a huge favor. Uh, share your favorite episode of us. You can go to soundcloud.com slash Podcast and pick out your favorite episode that you've heard of ours. Share it with a friend on social media. The social meds, as we call it. No, we don't. I hate myself. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> share, share it with a friend on Twitter or Facebook. Um, yeah, just yeah. And, like, honestly, if all of the episodes are your favorite, that's fine. Just share them all. No big deal. Share them all. Share them all. Obsessively. Yeah. All of them are my favorite, too. So I get it. Agreed. Um, You can contact us, yeah, on Twitter, at Bible Bitches, um, or on Facebook, um, our Bible Bitches fan page. Um, yeah, just like, uh, tweet at us and, or message us and let us know what you think. Um, you can also find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For sure. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, want to give a big shout out to Aaron at Aaron Doodles on Twitter. He's great. He did our um, logo and our art, and um, we love him dearly. And of course, Yo Eves, which is Miss Eves. Her Twitter name is Yo Eves, and she's fantastic. Uh, she did our intro and outro music, and she's so great, so kind, so funny. We love her. Mm. And the good folks over at Engaged Gaze, G-A-Z-E, dot com, who uh, put all of our stuff on their website and are just just good people. They are um, doing a podcast right now on Game of Thrones, which is super relevant. Um, Gosh, this last season has been a real roller coaster. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what? Honestly, they have a lot of, like, really good, interesting things to say about it. So you guys Mm -hmm. should definitely listen to them. Yes. If you're frustrated like we are. Go over and listen. It'll, uh, right. it'll help. <laughs> All right, you guys. We love you. Thank you so love much for you. listening. Bye. Bye.